Psalm 139 verses one through 18 say this. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned before me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. In Psalm 139 is where we're gonna to be today if you have a copy of the Word of God. I remember being in that season of life that Nadia is with her husband Gideon, expecting their first baby. I remember the first time that Krista told me we were expecting. Uh, it was awesome. And um, I remember the first time she put my hand on her belly <laughs> and felt Jake move for the first time. Amazing. And that same little boy is about to graduate from University of Arkansas. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm gonna talk today about something that's really difficult for a lot of us, honestly. I'm gonna talk about the sanctity of human life. And it's gonna be difficult for some of us. The Bible's full of tough truth, but it's truth nonetheless. And statistically, one out of four, maybe as high as one out of three women in America have had an abortion. And if you're one of them today, I want you to know that there is redemption, there is grace, there's hope, there is healing. One of my dear friends personally, Lori Driggs, who herself had an abortion many years ago, lived with the shame and the secrecy and the heartache of that for many years. God redeemed that. She began a ministry called If Not For Grace, ministering hope and healing to women and men who have gone through an abortion. I encourage you to reach out to her, reach out to me. This is not a place of shame, I promise. It's a place of grace. Uh, one of my dear friends on our staff, precious, precious lady, Lana Bramer. Uh, officially, she is our office manager. Unofficially, she's our staff mom. Uh, she's told her story of multiple abortions, but God has redeemed her. And I want you to know that where there is truth, there's also grace. But we need as a church to have a prophetic voice in the issues we face as a nation. 
And I'm convinced one of the reasons our nation is where the nation is is because the church is where the church is. And the church quit having a prophetic voice into the social and moral issues of our day. And so I want you to know as we begin today that I don't stand on the Republican platform. I don't stand on the Democratic platform. This platform on which I stand is a platform belongs to the Word of God. It, it belongs to the Son of God. And so all I care about today is who are we as Christians, not as Republicans and Democrats, but what do we believe and what do we see? And as Christians, it's mandated that we try to see what God sees. And what God sees when he looks at human life is something sacred. And no place can we see this more than in Psalm 139. When you look in Psalm 139, it becomes clear that the sanctity of human life is a moral, spiritual, and biblical issue. It is not a political issue. It's been hijacked by politics, but it's not a political issue. First and foremost, it's a biblical issue. It's a spiritual issue. It is a moral issue. Psalm 139, verse 13, the psalmist says, for you formed me in my Edward Parks. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. Uh, the psalmist tells us two things emphatically, two infallible proofs today, two infallible truths today about what God sees when he looks inside the womb. What does God see when he looks at the life of the unborn? First of all, the unborn is a whole person in the eyes of God. Now it's really important we understand that because if the unborn is not a whole person, if they're not fully human, then abortion would not be immoral, it wouldn't be sinful. But the fact that God sees a whole person, in other words, a full human, makes it infanticide, it is homicide. Because what we learn here in the Psalms is that God sees a full person even before that person is fully formed. Uh, God sees a human being in the womb before they've ever have a fully developed human body. Check this out, before you had a fully developed human body, God saw you fully as a human being. Look what the psalmist says here in verse 15. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. First thing off, he says, I was made in secret. It's a secret moment, that secret moment of conception. And he says it's secret because it's unknown to fa the father, it's unknown to even the mother. That secret moment when a man's sperm collides with a woman's egg and conception begins, that, that place of secrecy, it's secret to mama, it is secret to daddy, but it is not secret to the God of heaven. God alone sees that moment. And look what the psalmist goes on to say. I was made in secret, skillfully, in the lowest parts of the earth. Now this phrase, lowest parts of the earth, that is a Hebrew euphemism for the womb. Now look at what else he says. He goes on in verse 16. He says, your eyes saw my substance, yet being informed. Now let that sink in a little bit. He says, God, your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed. In other words, when your body was not fully formed, God still your, saw your substance, and he saw you as fully human. He recognized you, even though you would have been unrecognizable to any others outside of you. You see, God fully recognized you. He saw your human body, even before you had a human body. He saw you as fully a human being. And we know this not just biblically, we know this now scientifically. 
There's too much that is known about what goes on inside the womb from the moment of conception. At the moment of conception, that little baby in the making has all the genetic code that is unique from the father, it is unique from the mother, he's the only one ever, she's the only one ever that will have the same genetic code, and not only that, we know in eight weeks after conception, I mean, mama is still throwing up at that time. Just eight weeks after conception, do you realize that little baby has a fully formed heart, fully formed liver, fully formed nervous system, fully formed, understand, the life-sustaining organs, they're all there already. Now listen carefully. Many people argue that, well, it's not a human being until it's viable outside of the womb. Until it can support itself, it's not fully human and doesn't deserve to have the rights as a human. Now listen carefully. That would be like you, uh, God forbid, if the should happen, but this should be like you going home today, having a head-on collision, and you go to the hospital, they put you in a medically induced coma, now you're dependent on a ventilator to keep you alive. Let me ask you, have you quit being human? Do you no longer deserve to be considered human because you can no longer sustain yourself? Of course not. It's hypocritical, it's illogical to think that a baby inside the womb isn't fully human because it cannot yet exist outside the womb. That would be like you cannot exist outside of a hospital room and that makes you no longer fully human. That's silly, it's illogical. We know scientifically that this baby inside the mother's womb, you know, the argument is, well, women ought to have the right to do what they want with their own bodies. Yes, we all agree on that. Women should have the right to do with whatever they want with their own bodies, but this is not their body. This is an individual person's body inside the body of that individual mother. And it's not just what the Bible says, science has said it. At eight weeks of age, they have a body that now is fully functioning in its own right, in its nervous system, life-sustaining organs. All that little girl, that little boy needs is time to live outside the womb. In the same way, you've gone in the hospital, I eventually will too. I'm not done living and I'm not, I promise I have not done being human. Now look at what he says. Look, even before you looked human, God says, I saw you as human. And before you had a fully formed human body, I saw you as a human being. It was God who made us intricately and meticulously to the very last detail in our mother's womb. Look at what the psalmist says. He says in Psalm 139, verse 14, he says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what the psalmist is saying? Every single conception is an act individually of God's creation. There are no two human beings alike. Think about it, seven and a half billion people on this planet and you're the only one that's got your fingerprint. You're the only one. You're the only one that's ever been. You're the only one that will ever be. You're the only one. You are unique completely and God made you intricately. That's what the psalmist is saying. Now this is important. He says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what he's trying to describe here? He's trying to describe that there's no accidents with God. You know, I love um, hanging out at this kid's wing at times and watching all the young families bring the little kids in, their little babies, and you know, we just a week ago up here dedicated a whole bunch of babies and moms and dads brought their children before the Lord and dedicated them to the Lord and every once in a while, you know, one of these young families will introduce me to the newest member of our family, Pastor Phil. This was our little surprise. And I'll say, well, guess what? It may have been a surprise to you, but it wasn't a surprise to God. 
There's no surprises with God. By the way, I don't know why it was a surprise. You know what causes that, right? <laughs> it shouldn't have been a surprise. Yeah, there, there, there's a cause and effect here. All right, we, we all know that. Okay, so I'll move on. Here's the point. There's no hey, it's surprises to us, but no human being's ever been born been a surprise to God. Like, wow, didn't know they were going to get to live. <laughs> no, God ordained that they would live, made them fearfully, wonderfully, uniquely, has specific identity. I mean, I, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Every once in a while, well, yeah, meet our little accident. May have been an accident for you. It was no accident for God. Hey, listen carefully. You are not an accident. Your life is not an accident. God ordained that you should live, and I'm convinced he's ordained that you should be here at this place at this time, fearfully and wonderfully made. Here's what he's trying to tell us. We are more than just flesh and bone and a bundle of hormones. As a human being before God, we are sacred in the eyes of God. You see, ultimately, we all have those insecurities, anxieties, right? Uh, you know, growing up, I was 6'5 when I was 16. Guess what? All the other guys in school, they wanted to be like me. Deep down, I wanted to be like them. I mean, I was so much taller than all the other kids. I felt awkward. I did, I felt awkward. We all have those things about ourselves physically, those little flaws, and we point them out. Nobody else can really see them most of the time, but we know about all the things we wish we could change. You know what the psalm is trying to say? God made you uniquely and perfectly. Whether you're short, tall, thin, or wide. God made you perfectly, fearfully, and wonderfully. And here's the deal. Your identity is not in what you look like physically. Your identity as a child of God is that you are loved perfectly by God who is our Father. And your identity is beyond what you look like physically. Your identity is who you are spiritually. That is the part of you that will last for eternity. And that's what makes you unique and special in the eyes of God. Verse 24 of Isaiah 44, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you in the womb. I want you to see how many times the Bible tells us this, not just the psalmist, but over and over and over again. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. Job 10 and verse 8, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Job 31 and verse 15, did not he who made me in in the womb make them. Psalm 119 verse 73, your hands have made me and fashioned me. Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Who made you? And he knew you while you were still in the womb. God knew you. See, God recognized you before you were even recognizable as a human. God knew you in the womb. He formed you. He, he made you. And this is so crucial that we understand this because indeed, if it's not a human being in the womb and they're not fully human, they're not a whole person, then there's nothing wrong with abortion. But the fact that they're a whole person in the eyes of God, you see, ultimately, this makes it an immoral issue. It is immorality. It is immoral before God to snuff out the life of a human being just because they cannot live yet outside of the womb. And that's what the psalmist is now teaching us. Every preborn human is known by God. Every human conception is a unique creation of God. And every human being is sacred in the eyes of God. What makes human life sacred? Listen, we live at a time where people want to elevate animal life on the same level as human life and sometimes elevate animal life above human life. 
But God is saying, we're not the same, we are not equal. There's something unique about human beings that God didn't give any other element in his creation. No animal has what we have, guess what it is? Genesis chapter one, God said, let us make man and woman in our image, in our likeness. No other creation got the image and likeness of God. What does it mean to have the image and likeness of God? Listen carefully. The Ecclesiastes tells us that animals have a living soul. In other words, animals have a living body, they have a living soul, but they don't have something you and I have that God gave us, a living spirit. See, when God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness, he was saying, let us make man three in one. Like, we are three in one. Let us make man three in one. And so, it doesn't really have to do with, you know, you got two arms, two, a, uh, two, two eyes, two legs, a nose and a mouth. It's not really what's going on there, though it is partially. He's dealing more with his spiritual nature, his triune nature. He's saying, like, we're three in one, let's make man three in one body, soul, spirit. So animals don't carry the image of God. Human beings carry the image of God. We are three in one, like God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit. And this is what makes you sacred in the eyes of God. Unlike any other creation of God, you are sacred. The sanctity of human life simply recognizes that we are like God and nothing else is like God. And I want you to see that ultimately, we are living in a society that has forgotten what amounts to this elementary principle of the sanctity, the value, the intrinsic worth of a human being. And you see, ultimately, we all know this in some way. Just listen to the language we use. When that little baby is wanted inside the mother's womb, you know what that, that mom, that dad will say? We're expecting a baby. But when that little baby isn't wanted, we call it a fetus. Same baby. I, I haven't heard a mom yet say, Pastor Phil, I'm expecting an embryo. <laughs> Pastor Phil, I'm curing a fetus. Same baby. See, we're so hypocritical in this society. This is a culture of convenience. When it's convenient for me to have a baby, then it's a baby. If it's inconvenient, then it's a fetus. You see the hypocrisy of it all? Do you realize in the state of Missouri, like most states in the United States, if a pregnant mother is murdered, her perpetrator can and is often charged with double homicide for her life and her baby's life. But if that same mother doesn't want that baby, it is perfectly legal to dispose of her own baby. You see, if it's murder part of the time, it's murder all of the time. And if it's not murder some of the time, then it's not murder any of the time. See, it's either a baby or it's a fetus. It's either wrong here and wrong here, or it's right all the time you choose. But you see, ultimately, what we're learning is that every preborn human is known by God, every human conception is unique creation of God, and every human being is sacred in the eyes of God. We live in a society, though, where human beings are considered disposable and of lesser value than even some animals. Do you realize animals have more rights than humans? 
that we recognize the intrinsic value of animal life over human life. If you were to go to a beach in Florida, and a lot of us vacation in Florida, there's a really good chance you're gonna see a sign like this one. Do not disturb sea turtle nests. Violators subject to fine and imprisonment. No person may take, possess, disturb, mutilate, destroy, cause to be destroyed, sell, offer for sale, transfer, molest, or harass any marine turtle or its nest or eggs at any time. And if you do, you will be convicted of a federal crime. You will go to prison and you will pay a fine. It is a felony to harm an unborn turtle, but it's perfectly legal to destroy an unborn human. What has happened to us? I would suggest what's happening is straight out of the pit of hell. It's a satanic spirit. After all that's known, not just what the Bible says, but scientifically. I mean, medical science has made it clear, emphatic, that this is not just a glob of tissue that's growing inside the womb. This is a person that's growing inside the womb. But to think we can reach into the womb and extract that baby as though it's nothing more than a piece of snot. God help us. God forgive us. And we wonder why. I mean, it's happened again. It happens again and again and again and again. Listen, I've lived long enough now to know this didn't start happening until just about 15, maybe 20 years ago. I'm talking about what happened yesterday at a synagogue in Pittsburgh where a man went in and mowed down and massacred 11 worshipers and wounded six others. And we look for political answers to spiritual problems. Do you understand we have devalued life? We have taught one generation after another after another that we're just highly evolved animals. That we have no moral conscience, we're not accountable to a moral creator, we're just a bundle of flesh and bones and hormones, and we wonder why we live in a society that is degrading itself, and we live in a society that is devolving. We're not evolving, we are devolving. No, we're not enlightened, we have flipped off the lights, we're a society now in darkness. Eleven people massacred randomly yesterday. Because when you teach generation after generation, you're nothing more than a highly evolved animal, why wouldn't people begin living like animals? The law of the jungle. Guess what Darwinian worldview says? Darwinian worldview is all about the survival of the fittest. The strong prey on the weak, so the strong survive, and the weak don't. And that is now the worldview in which we live. 11 people yesterday massacred, innocent of any wrongdoing other than worshiping. 60 million babies since 1973 massacred, mutilated inside their mother's womb. But don't you dare destroy a sea turtle's egg. 
because you will go to prison. The hypocrisy. It's not just unbiblical, it's illogical. But there's a second infallible truth we learn in this passage. The unborn not only is a whole person in the eyes of God, but the unborn has been given a purpose by God. Guess what? God has given every person a purpose. This is absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, watch what the psalmist says next in verse 16. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Isn't this amazing? Before you'd live one day of your life, God had ordained the days of your life that you should live and written down those days in a book in heaven. God has recorded the days of our life in a book in heaven and even before those days came to pass on earth, God had already written it down. You know what the goal of life is? Is to live on earth everything God has written about us in heaven. You have a purpose and every preborn person has been given a purpose. When you snuff out that person, you snuff out their purpose. You snuff out the days that God had ordained. Now why would God allow this? Listen very carefully. God gave his creation, you and I, human life, human beings, the crowning jewel of his creation. He gave us something that no animal has, a moral conscience, to know good and evil, right from wrong. He gave us the ability of his sovereignty, he gave us the ability to say yes to him or no to him. We live in a world of suffering because we live in a world of sin. God didn't make it this way, it was meant to be a world of perfection, but God knew that a world without pain would actually be worse than a world without choice because our yes would have no meaning if we couldn't also say no. So God gives this preborn little person a purpose and he gives somebody else a free will to snuff it out. Do you realize with every abortion, not just was that person's life snuffed out, but the purpose of that person's life was snuffed out. Some of us here honestly wonder, have I missed my purpose? I feel like maybe I've jeopardized my purpose. Some of us here honestly, you've had an abortion. You're one of those statistics, but to God, listen, you're not a statistic, and I want you to understand what sin has destroyed, God is able to redeem. You do not have to live in the guilt. God offers grace. Reach out to Lori Driggs, reach out to me, I promise this is a place of grace. But unless we walk in the truth of God, we cannot walk in the grace of God. You see, this is an age that wants the grace of God but is rejecting the truth of God. And unless you're willing to walk in God's truth, you can't walk in God's grace. You're walking under God's judgment. You see, the same God that we learn is a God of love. Do you realize that for every verse in the Bible on God's love, there are seven verses on God's holiness? And his holiness demands that there's a penalty for sin. What does that mean? It means if you're not willing to walk in his truth, you can't walk in grace. You're walking in his judgment. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that redemption can begin, that healing can begin. But listen, it begins with us getting honest with him. So only then can the cleanup begin. Stop the cover up. And God will begin the cleanup. You can redeem the purpose. There is no sin too great that God cannot redeem. 
It doesn't matter the sin, abortion, fill in the blank. We have all had our sin. The wages of sin is death for all men and all women. You see, Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. No, I haven't had an abortion, but I've had some times of really, really bad stuff. There's nobody here better than anybody here. Every single one of us are desperate for redemption, desperate for a savior. God offers salvation. And you see, ultimately, our purpose as children of God is to live out the purpose God has given for us on the earth, to glorify his name, to bring him great fame. You may not know what this is. This is the Arch of Palmyra recently put on the Washington Mall just a few weeks ago. The Arch of Palmyra, also known as the Arch of Baal, it stood in Palmyra, Syria for millennia. It was destroyed by ISIS in 2015, reconstructed by archaeologists recently, and placed in Washington, D.C. as some type of cultural icon. But understand, the Arch of Palmyra is not a cultural icon. It is pagan. Do you realize that arch is the very arch that for thousands of years, worshipers of Baal would walk through to get into the temple of Baal. Baal was the ancient pagan god of power and prosperity, and they would go to Baal to pray for their crops and their flocks, power and prosperity. And I would suggest to you that God is not the God that created us and made us, not any longer. Listen, America is not becoming a godless nation. The problem for America is we are becoming a nation of many gods. And I would suggest the same spirit of Baal is the one that is controlling America today, the spirit of power and prosperity. And these ancient worshipers of Baal would walk through the arch of Palmyra, the arch of Baal, and they would go into the temple of Baal, and as they would worship Baal, they would sacrifice their infant sons and daughters in the fire of Baal. They would burn their children alive. And today, that arch sits in Washington, D.C. How apropos for this once Christian nation is now becoming pagan. You say, how barbaric that those ancient men and women would feed their babies into the fire. How barbaric. Yes, it is. It is, isn't it? How equally barbaric that we would make it perfectly legal to shoot a saline solution into the womb of a pregnant mother so her baby burns to death slowly over the next three or four days. God forgive us. But church, it's not enough to simply know what is right. It's not enough to simply proclaim what is right. It's not enough to simply believe what is right. If we don't choose to do what is right. It's not enough to simply say what is wrong if we're not willing to do what is right. Demands a response. To know what is wrong and do nothing 
itself is immoral. It is not enough that we as the church believes in the sanctity of human life in the womb if we don't believe in its sanctity outside of the womb. Now, historically, uh, we've been heavily invested as a church in ministries like Rachel House Crisis Pregnancy Center, where honestly, dozens of lives are being saved every single year. Many of you volunteer there. We've invested financially as one of our missions partners there. If not for Grace Ministry, uh, we've invested heavily in that ministry for those that want to find hope in healing Alliance for Life. Many of our members are part of these ministries. But listen, there's a move of God right now going on in the body of Christ. Really within the last five, maybe 10 years. I want you to consider this today as a response. If indeed we're pro-life, if indeed as Christians, there's really only one position and one platform. Uh, I, I think another response, one response to our pro-life worldview is to support foster and adoption movement, which is going on within the body of Christ. Hey, did you know that right now there are 14,000 children that are not wanted in the state of Missouri in the foster care system? 2,000 children in Jackson County alone, where we are now sitting and standing Lots and lots of people have gotten involved in foster and care and adoption ministries. I, I want you to consider this. Just pray about this because every single one of us has a part. At a minimum, begin to pray. We need to pray for a move of God. Pray for a move of the Spirit of God upon the church of the living God. Why are we doing this thing tonight at 6.30? We're gonna have a worship night with a couple of other churches in our city because it's time for the churches that name the name of Jesus to move together instead of apart, to pray for a move of God together. A Holy Spirit revival is what we're desperate for. Because there's no amount of legislation that can change the heart of a human. It's a heart issue. Now having said that, go vote. You have a Christian responsibility to vote, you do. But in the end, that is not the answer, not exclusively. Politics cannot answer the deepest needs we're facing as a nation. That ought to be obvious. We need Jesus. We need a move of God. We need another great awakening in this land. You may not be prepared to foster or adopt, but I bet you know a family who is. It's incredibly difficult what they're going through, incredibly difficult when you choose to step into this. And it's a calling. If you're not called, don't do it. But you are called to help somebody else do it. As a church, we're launching a support system, a support system for foster and adoptive families. If you wanna know more about this, there's a booth out there in the foyer. Go out there immediately. Talk to the folks back there. Pick up some literature. If you wanna know more, immediately after this service in room 1024, right over here, there's a ministry called Cornerstone of Care. They are there to talk at length with you, to answer questions for you. But I want you to know that this is a beautiful picture of what God has done for you. We've all been adopted into God's family. And I would like Tashawn Avery to come right now. Tashawn is on our Fusion staff. I love this guy. He's one of our student pastors. And uh, he has an amazing story to tell because every time somebody is adopted who was not wanted, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. So Tashawn, tell us your story, man. This is exciting. A lot of them probably don't know your story. Yeah, so thanks, Pastor Phil, for uh, just asking me to come and share. <clears throat> it's really nerve-wracking because I haven't uh, shared exclusively a whole lot about 
uh, the details of my story. But when I was seven years old, my mom sat me down and, and now she just basically let me know that I was born uh, in, in, a, in a time of crisis. So my birth parents started having kids when they were 16 years old. And at 16, um, uh, my birth mom tried to run away from home, but she was not able to run away from home. Uh, her mom found out that she had ran away from home uh, because she was pregnant and she made her stay home and keep the baby. Well, she got pregnant again when she was 17 years old. And then she got pregnant again when she was 18 or 19 with my brother that I grew up with. Uh, once again, she tried to run away from home. She was able to run away for nine months successfully with my brother and my parents uh, adopted my brother. But then at 20, she got pregnant again with me. And so uh, this part was really interesting. I didn't find this out till much later. Um, she told me that basically I was developed in crisis. So late during her pregnancy, she fell down a flight of stairs. It was six days before I was born. She ended up in the hospital. And when she was in the hospital, uh, my dad, who had never met her and never called, um, they had never spoken, he called the adoption agency and he said, hey, is my son okay? And they said, well, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, you, do you, have you spoken with her? He said, no, I just know I've been praying for him. And, and for me, it was really cool because you talk about being known by God. And I get to experience that on this side of heaven when my dad, who had not met me or known me, but just had been praying for me and preparing to adopt me, called in on a day where I was in crisis. But that ultimately, that crisis didn't define my life. Amen, really brother. That's exciting. That. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you find out you were adopted? How did that make you feel? Well, growing up, I dealt with a lot of shame and a lot of anger. You know, I just remember a lot of kids would talk about their, their parents and not only at the age of 16 had my father passed away, but I had just begun to dwell more and more on this fact that I was adopted. And for me, the big question that I struggled with was, was I wanted? And, um, And uh, it's just super cool because my dad, who, he didn't know me. You know, I got to look back and read the story of how he called. My mom said to Sean, not only did we want you, but we loved you. And she said, let me tell you this, son. I said, all right, because I needed some encouragement. She said, uh, did you know, Tashawn, that I could legally divorce my parents. And I'm like, why would you, you, know, why would you ever want to do that? And she said, well, I, just follow with me for a second. She said, if I wanted to, I could. She said, but not you. I said, well, why? She said, you were bought with a price. At the age of 16, I didn't really understand that. But now I understand the gospel and the freedom that the gospel brings and the fact that there is a God who loved me, who bought me with the price, who paid the ultimate price. He said, I'm gonna send my son so that I could be one with you to shun. Not only are you wanted by your parents, but you're wanted by me. And if there's any person out there, you've been adopted, and I wanna let you know that you're wanted. 
I want to let you know that your parents want you and they want you so much that they were willing to pay the ultimate price. And maybe you're a parent out there who's like, man, I'm considering fostering adoption. This message was for me. I'm letting you know that you have an opportunity to show that kid an example of the gospel. And maybe, just maybe, they will grow up to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Wow, glory to God, living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Do you understand that's what God has done for you? God loved you so infinitely. He was willing to pay any price to redeem you. And what's amazing to Sean is his mom and dad were willing to pay a high price to redeem him. And you were wanted. There's biological moms and dads don't want to really want their children, but if you've been adopted, they really, really wanted you. And that's a picture of the gospel, it is. Understand, God has adopted us into his family as those who'd been orphaned spiritually. You came into this world apart from God. You did not have God as your father because of sin. There was a wall of separation between you and, and him. But 2,000 years ago, the sinless son of God came like the sons of men so the sons of men could be forgiven and become like him, adopted into his family. And you see, every time one is adopted, it's a picture of the gospel. Galatians 4 and verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Today, honestly, is a day that I want you to consider, have I been adopted into God's family? Has there been a moment in your life personally that you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did at Calvary? I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about your attempts to get better and do better and try harder. I'm talking about one thing, Jesus. Have you trusted Jesus to forgive your sin, to give you a brand new destination? Because today can be the day of your adoption. No more an orphan. Loved by the Father, bought by the high price of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if indeed you know him as a child of God, you know that you've been adopted by your Father God, you know you've been bought by the high price of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave his life, he died, so that we might have life. Do you realize what that means? It doesn't matter your political affiliation, Republican, Democrat, if you're a Christian, there's really only one choice, one choice, and it's life. Stand for life in some capacity, in some way. Choose life, let's pray. Jesus, I pray for every person in this place that today would be the day of salvation 
that holy adoption. If you know for sure you've been adopted into God's family, you've placed your faith in Jesus exclusively, you know you've been forgiven of your sin, that heaven's your destination, would you just slip up your hand very quickly, very quietly, all over this auditorium, I know for sure my home is in heaven. I know for sure I've had that holy adoption. God bless all of you, you can slip your hands down. Maybe today somebody would say, Phil, honestly, I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know where I would be if I opened my eyes in eternity, what I would see. I don't know for sure that I've been adopted into God's family. And I wanna pray for you personally. That's all I wanna do right here, right now. I wanna pray for you to slip up your hand very quickly, very quietly. Phil, would you pray for me? I see your hand. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Up on the terrace. Let's raise your hand in the air. I wanna pray for you right now. Not sure of my destination eternally. Not sure today if I died where I would be. Just hold your hand up high. Jesus, you see these hands in this place. And these hands represent the hearts of men and women all over this auditorium. Today they're saying, honestly, I'm not sure, but today I pray that you give them the grace to believe on the name of Jesus Christ and forever be saved, to be set free to know emphatically their destiny eternally, that they've been adopted into God's family. Sweet friends, those that I've just prayed for, you're not certain, today you can be. As others are walking out of this service, I'm gonna come down off this platform, stand in front of it. I want you to come and pray with me. I wanna pray with you personally. Would you let me do that? God in heaven, I pray that today would be the day of holy adoption. In Jesus' name, amen. What a great message. Did you enjoy that? Listen, we wanna be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We wanna be sensitive to the moving of God and invite those of you that feel just that tug in your heart, just respond, say yes to God today and just come on. These people are ready to pray with you. For the rest of you, thank you for being here. We invite you to come back tonight to our worship service and don't forget the story room that's out uh, this entrance. That, uh, Thank you for being with us today.